Well, good morning, everyone. Let's have a word of prayer together. We are going to be finishing the very last uh, sermon in the book of Acts in the series Unstoppable that we've been doing, and I'm really excited about that. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your presence in every living room, in every place that you are, whether outside, inside. We love the fact that you are so omnipresent and so powerful that you can do that. We pray now, Father, that as we finish off this wonderful series that we've been going through called Unstoppable, that your spirit would be with us, uh, work in our lives, tug at our hearts, help us, O Lord, to join the movement and become unstoppable uh, with the church. We thank you so much, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm wondering something. I'm wondering, have you ever had a dream for something? Have you ever hoped for something? Like really longed for it, dreamt about it, waited patiently for it with every fiber of your being? I remember I must have been maybe 13 or 14 years old. And as most of you know, I, I'm a drummer. I play drums. But uh, I came from a fairly poor family, and so drums was mostly doing the best I could with some used stuff and everything. And I'll never forget, I was walking uh, in New Rochelle, New York, on Main Street. And I walked by this store. It was a music store, and the store is called The House of Power. I'll never forget this. I'm trying to remember the guy's name that was the owner, but I would walk by that house of power music store, and, you know, in the window there was Marshall amps, and, and there was a Fender Telecaster, and a Fender, Fender Stratocaster. For those of you who are guitarists, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a big, big PV sound system in there. And if you walked in, which I did, towards the back is where he had all the percussion instruments. Towards the back were the drums, the cymbals, the gongs, the timpanis, and it was all there. It was a small store, but he was able to kind of put a lot of stuff in there. I'll never forget walking in there. He had one drum set set up. It was one of the very original first Pearl drum sets, the company Pearl. Now, it was actually had a wrap of a white pearl around it, just like you would, but, this, but the company was actually called Pearl. And in fact, in those days, back then, it was actually called Old Westbury. And uh, that's where they made the first Pearl drum sets. And he had this drum set, I mean, and it shined, and it was beautiful. He had it all set up, and he had sticks there. And I'm like, can I play it? He goes, sure. You know, and I started playing the drum set. And I began to have this hope, this longing deep down inside that maybe somehow, some way, I could get this, this drum set. And I remember thinking about it. Now, I wasn't a Christian. I don't think I ever prayed about it back then. But I remember just thinking to myself, boy, if this could be. And every day, I, 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 as far as I can remember, I would walk by that store and I would walk in and I would make a beeline for the drum set, for this pearl sit, drum set, and I would sit and play. And the man there would always just welcome me with a smile and just say, you know, don't play too loud. And, and, and he was happy that I knew how to play. I guess a lot of people would walk in, they didn't know what they were doing anyway. And one day, as I was playing it, my dream became so strong 
my hope to have something like this became so strong that I got the courage to talk to my dad about it. And I took him to the store. I said, Dad, you've got to see this drum set. And my dad was just a, a wonderful man. He, he always wanted to help us out. But he had five children. He had a mortgage on a house. He was the only one that was the breadwinner at our house. And so this was not an easy thing for him to, to do. But he said, sure, I'll come and look at it. And so he came, and we talked, and he saw me play. He could, I think he could tell there was joy in my, in my eyes. There was, there was joy on, on my face when I played it. I think he could see it, that this was really important to me. Now, I'll never forget, we were walking out that day, and he said to me, he said, you know, Sergio, I'll tell you what I'll do with you. If you work this summer, and you, the drum set was $400, by the way, which was a lot of money for a drum set back in those days. He said, if you, uh, if you raise $200 by doing odds and ends work throughout the summer, it's up to you, whatever you want to do. He said, I'll put in the rest. I said, really? He said, yes. And he puts a $25 down payment on the drum set, which said to me, because it was non-refundable, I have faith in you that you can do this. I was... I was just stunned and it really motivated me and I began to start working I, I remember going around with my lawnmower from house to house on my street and other streets I would cross streets I would go some places that uh, you wouldn't believe how far I would walk and and I would say can I mow your lawn for five bucks and and some people took me up on it and said come back in, in next week and and so I began to mow lawns and then I also had there was this great um golf course uh, there, the Westchester Country Golf Club course. For those of you who are golfers, you know that that's a pretty famous golf course. And I used to go there back before it became famous, and I would, um, I would, do, I would caddy. So you would carry a bag, sometimes two bags, uh, for either nine holes or 18 holes for the, for the players, and you'd have to keep an eye on the ball. And, you know, we were not the kind of caddies that would say, look, use this club. We were not that good, but we were enough there to be able to carry the clubs for those who wanted to walk. Sometimes you got lucky and you got somebody that was rich enough that wanted you to be going along with them, but they actually got a cart, which was really cool. They just wanted to know. They couldn't see where the ball would go, so they wanted to know where the ball would go, and they'd say, you know, you, 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 that's your job. And, and I would get, I remember... Back in those days, I would get $6 a bag. So when you did double bags for 18 holes, you would get $12 a bag. That's $24. That was great money, great money. And then I also had, uh, today, some of you may not even realize what this is, but I used to have a paper route where back in the days when we had newspapers, we would actually go around and uh, somebody would pay us to drop off these newspapers at the front doors of these houses that actually had paid for them. Well, as the summer passed and time went by, I was able to raise the whole $200. And I was so psyched on the day that I went to my dad and said, Dad, I did it. And uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll be going to school, and so I'm glad I got this done. My dad looked at me, and I could just tell by the look on his face and again, being the only breadwinner and, and having all these responsibilities, you know, I didn't really fully understand it then. I do now. <laughs> but my dad said, you know, Sergio, I 
don't have the money now, but we'll get it. Proverbs says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I will be honest with you, my hope was crushed. But weeks would go by, and my dad once in a while would just remind, don't forget, Sergio, keep that money. Don't, don't spend it, because we're going to get it. And sure enough, just a few weeks before Christmas, I'll never forget this. My dad emptied his Fiat. <laughs> That's what he would take to work. It was a station wagon, though. Hey, He would empty his Fiat of all his tools and all his equipment so that we could go and get the drum set. And we drove to the House of Power, and sure enough, it was still there, of course. And uh, we also bought some cymbals, and I'll never forget taking that home. And I, I remember shining those cymbals and shining those wraps around those drums every single day. I was so proud of this drum set, and I would play it every day, every day, every day, and I loved it. It was one of the most amazing things to experience getting that drum set. Uh, I couldn't be happier. My hope was realized. My mom used to make fun of me. She would say, you know, Sergio and his drum set are inseparable. He's like chained to those drum sets. You know, that's, he's, he's going to stay in the basement. He's going to practice and he's going to play. And she was amazing, by the way, because she would often cook in the basement I don't know why Italian moms did that, but she cooked in the basement. And when she did that, uh, I would be practicing, and my poor mom would have to listen to me playing drums for hours. And I knew that she didn't really appreciate I mean, I probably didn't understand that till later in my life. But I was amazed because she'd always smile and say, oh, that's very good, Sergio. That's very good. Always encouraging to me. And that made me even more attached to my drum set. I want to read to you about somebody that was chained to his hope. And we're actually going to do something different today. We're going to actually start with the ending and then go back to the beginning. So read with me Acts chapter 28, verses 17 through 20. Acts chapter 28, 17 through 20. Paul is speaking to some Jewish leaders. It says, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and I was handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because they knew I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But the Jews, he says, the Jews in Jerusalem objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. And then he says these words. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. Here's the reason. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with these chains. 
So one of the things that we realize that while he is saying this, he's got chains on, probably his feet and his hands. And he says, it is for the hope of Israel. It is for what we have hoped for, for centuries. That I am here, bound for Rome with these chains. Everything Paul has gone through throughout his journey, as Dr. Luke narrates it in the book of Acts, every ridicule, every beating, every imprisonment, every whip, every rejection, every time he was sporting the latest fashion of chain jewelry, every single situation, every unstoppable moment from Jerusalem to Judea to the outer parts of the earth, it was all due to the steadfast, unwavering faith in the hope of Israel. Every storm encountered, every uncertainty endured was easy for him because of the hope of Israel. And that hope of Israel, I hope by now you know, we're talking about Jesus Christ. So how is it with you? How is it with me? How are we weathering the storms in our lives? Are we holding on to the hope of Israel? Anyone feeling overwhelmed these days? <laughs> I don't know about you, but life was already challenging without a pandemic. And, and COVID-19 has raised the stakes, I mean, really. But the more I think about it, the more I spend time with God, the stronger the storm gets. I echo Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 and 9. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love that. I love that, those words. No matter what they do, we are unstoppable, is what Paul was saying. The storm is coming. The storm is here. More storms will come. But are we willing to endure like Paul did? So I want to spend some time in these next few moments talking about some storm navigation lessons that we can glean from Paul's voyage to Rome in these last two chapters of chapter 27 and 28 of the book of Acts. So here's the very first lesson. Number one, learn to recognize and appreciate the small gifts in life. Learn to recognize and appreciate the small gifts of life. Can I just tell you, uh, sometimes we struggle even recognizing when we have a small gift in our life. Some of us are so, we, we think so negatively that we can't even see the positive side of it. In chapter 27, Paul sets sail for Italy and under, he's under the protection of a centurion by the name of Julius. And Julius begins to really like Paul. And, and it says in uh, verse 3 of chapter 27, it says, the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, don't miss this, Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends 
so they might provide for his needs. Why does Luke mention this? Why is it important that we know that this moment happened? Because I think it's important enough to learn from it. I think it's important enough for us to lean in on it so that we can also say, yes, there are moments when God shows himself through the kindness of others in our lives. Most of us are wired to pay attention to the negative things in life. I mean, this is the reason why when you turn on the news, most of the news is negative because people tend to, 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 to go towards that. They, they, they want to hear the negative news. They're the ones, they, they want that, and they want to say, what, what, oh, all, this, all that's going on, I can't, oh, I'm terrible, I can't believe this is happening. For some reason, we are, we are wired to, 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 to be absorbed by this. I mean, none of us count the green lights, all of us count the red lights. When we're, when we're late. Isn't that true? I mean, this is the way it is. We, we are just not wired to, to do this during this time. This time of pandemic, this time of this crazy storm that we're living in now. I want you to think about what have been some of the small gifts that God has given you? Maybe it's the kindness of, of a neighbor. And you just need to recognize it and appreciate it. You know, my back has been really in a lot of pain lately, and I, I've, I've been really struggling. And I'll never forget this happened about a month and a half ago. It was a Thursday morning, and we heard the garbage truck come by, and I thought, oh, no, we forgot to put the garbage out. Lo and behold, the garbage was, some, was out already. Somebody had put it out for us. I said, Nancy, did you do this? No. She said, you better not have done it. I said, no, I didn't do it. And this happened week after week after week, and we found out that it was our neighbors, Bob and Marilyn. Bob and Marilyn Fox, next door. Bob would come out when he would put out his garbage, knowing what had happened to my back, he would pull down my garbage and make sure that it was taken care of. And then, then he would, when we, when we couldn't do it, he would bring the garbage all the way back up again. Or our neighbors, uh, Gail and Rick, who, who noticed that we were struggling with the sprinkler system situation, and they recommended somebody that was perfect to do the job for us. Very reasonable. Sometimes we have to think about the gifts of loving church members. These last few months have been unbelievable. Church members loving on us. I was talking to Pastor Larissa just the other day, and she said, I, you know, I opened my front door. There was, there was a bag of corn on my front porch. I don't know what that was from. And I said, I know who that was from, because I got the same bag of corn. And that was Bob. Um, I, I, out of nowhere, look, hey, I'm, I'm getting some corn. It's the best corn in town. I'm going to drop some off to you. Wow. And then this, today, I, I, I came to church ready to, to, to preach, and the next thing I know... I walk to my front door of my office and there's all these bags of all this wonderful vegetables. And I know it is. It's Charlie. And he gets, he's got this, I'm going to take this right here. He's got this dip that, that looks like some kind of buffalo dip here. Man, this looks really good. I can't wait to get into this. I mean, it's just small kindness. And some of us would, would look at these and say, oh yeah, and then we would forget about them. But we need to learn to practice to concentrate 
on the small gifts and kindnesses around us. That's an important lesson for us to learn as we navigate through the storm. We will never appreciate what we don't intentionally look for. Hey, come on. Don't you appreciate being able to get on a Sabbath school and watch a sermon in your PJs? I mean, look at it from the positive side. So lesson number two, when difficulties arise and the storm demands it, let go of whatever weighs you down in order to arrive safely. Let go of whatever weighs you down in order to arrive safely. Luke recounts the difficulty of the journey from island to island. with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. And much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. It had nothing to do with the Day of Atonement, just a period of time. In other words, he was saying, look, the winter was coming. This is not good. So Paul, this is important to make a note of, Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. The Bible tells us that the centurion chooses to follow the advice of the ship captain and crew instead of the advice of Paul. I kind of get that a little bit because you would think that a ship captain and their crew uh, would know better about these things than a tent maker and a preacher. But it affords Paul an opportunity for a told you so moment a little later. In Acts chapter 27, 14 through 20, it goes like this. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. And as we passed the lee of a small island called Kauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard, and then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. I don't know how they did that. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sertris, they lowered the sea anchor and left the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering, Luke says, from the storm. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. Are you catching this? On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Some of us 
when this whole pandemic started. Thought, you know, this, we'll get through this. It just will be a couple of weeks, maybe a month. None of us thought that it would be this long. And I fear that some of us are giving up all hope. But I want you to know that I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will get back to what church was like before. And until then, let's make the most of what we got. Perhaps God is using this storm, COVID-19, for us to throw some of our cargo overboard. Some of us need to let go of our grip on stuff. We hold on to things, to the peril of our lives, and even sometimes to the peril of our families' lives. Some of us need to let go of our egos. Some of us need to let go of our insecurities. Some of us need to let go of resentment in our lives. Some of us need to, we could take this time to let go of some debilitating addictions. Some of us would choose to allow our worldview grasp it tightly, sacrificing relationships rather than losing the grip, loosening the grip, rather. We need to recognize that people are always more important than ideologies. In fact, I'll never forget Jesus talking to the Jews about the Sabbath when they were saying, you know, it's unlawful for you to do what you're doing. And Jesus basically said to them, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. People are always more important. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we get so stuck in the ideology, we get so stuck in the worldview that that is all. We, we cannot see that, 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 that sometimes we need to let go of that grip so that we can love people regardless of how we feel. And we need to agree to disagree. We're going to actually talk about that. We're doing a series in the next few months called Us and Them, and deal with this issue dead on. I love what happens next. When all hope was lost, Paul has that I told you so moment we talked about before. <clears throat> After they had gone a long time, Acts 27, verse 21, if you're following with me in your Bibles, after they had gone a long time without food, uh, who, who, who would eat, by the way? Because when you're on the ship and it's going back and forth and the winds and storms. And, have you ever been on a ship like that? I'll never forget sailing from Italy to the United States. I was just 10 years old, but I'll never forget we had one night that, uh, that it was terrible. The, the boat was going crazy. My mom was crying. I, I was too young to really understand, but there were people in the hallways crying, praying, thinking this was it. We were going to drown. Nobody wanted to eat the day after. This was a cruise ship. Paul was not on any cruise ship, by the way. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. <laughs> you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. I got to be honest with you, there are times when I have to bite my tongue and avoid the I told you so speech. I don't know if Paul was 
inspired to do this or if this was just his personality. But he doesn't hold any punches, does he? He doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, hey, hey, you should have listened to me. A little side note on this. We would be wise to learn from our mistakes. I mean, what would have been really bad is if they decided to not to listen to Paul again or and again and again. What is it about us that we keep making? Some of us keep making the same mistake over and over and over. When you make a mistake, own it. That's, that's such an important point. I love what Andy Stanley says. I, he says this. He says, I have participated in every bad decision that I have ever made. <laughs> and it's so true. I've participated in every bad decision that I've ever made. You have participated in every bad decision that you've ever made. That's the way it goes. And we got to learn to learn from those mistakes. Mistakes are not bad. You've heard me say this often. Fail often, succeed sooner. I'm okay with that as long as we learn from them. Acts 27, 22 through 25, it says, but now, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. I love that. I told you so, but guess what? God still loves you. Only the ship will be destroyed, just so you know. And then he says this, last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. How cool is that? And then he says, so keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. In other words, what Paul was saying is once we have had some time to lick our wounds, admit our mistakes, keep the courage. Don't give up. Why? Because the storm is not over, and you're going to need that courage. But here's what you need to know. The God told me, the God I belong to, told me, and I believe him. That's what Paul is saying. The God I belong to said this, and I believe it. Faith often is believing in the absence of evidence. But in this moment, Paul is saying, have faith believing in the presence of contrary evidence. I believe in the God to whom I belong. And he says, not one will be lost. Paul says, God told me I believe him, so keep courage. Do you believe God? Do you believe that God can do what, he's got his, what he says he can do? Do you believe that he loves you enough to protect you and guide you through all this? Do you believe that he cares about you so that at the end of it all, no matter what happens, you and I, We'll get to experience eternity forever together. The Bible says they set sail again, and true to Paul's prophetic voice, troubles resurges. Acts 27, 29 through 32 says, Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors, check this out, 
let the lifeboats down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. But then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Which brings us to lesson number three, really important. Lesson number three is this. At some point, at some point, every one of us has to let go of our man-made lifeboats if we're going to experience the salvation of God. At some point, every one of us, I meet people all the time that just want to hang on to their lifeboats just in case God doesn't come through. Some of us really struggle with this. I've talked to people that struggle with believing in assurance of salvation. Somewhere along our voyage, we were taught that, that God helps those who help themselves, but I believe that God helps those who cannot help themselves. In fact, that's what he specializes in. Some of us are so embedded with this thought that we struggle with the idea that, that God can actually do this. I've talked to people that really want to believe this, and they see it in the Bible, and they say, I could read it, I could see it, but it's so hard for me to believe. Reminds me of how, one time I read about how they train circus elephants. When they get them, they, buy, they get them as, as, as baby elephants, and, and then they tie them to a stake, and when they're a baby elephant, they try to pull free, but they can't. As they get older and bigger, though, they can easily come up from that stake. They can easily pull up that stake. But they don't, because they remember what they did when they, when they were young. They tried so hard to pull up that stake when they were little that now they don't even try to pull it up as they get older. You've heard of the memory of an elephant? Well, there it is. And now here's the point. Some of us, are, that stake when we were young got so embedded into the ground that we think it still holds us today. But Paul reminds us that there is not enough sin in this world to outdo the grace of God. Where sin abounds, grace does that much more abound. We want the lifeboats. We think we need the lifeboats just in case God doesn't come through, but he does. Paul said it. The God I belong to said this, and I believe it. Well, Acts chapter 27, as we move along here to the last and final lesson. <clears throat> Acts chapter 27, verses 33 through 34. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from your head. Wow. As they ran aground, we are told that the soldiers wanted to kill all the prisoners because they were afraid they were all going to run away. But Julius, the centurion, decides to not do that because he wants to spare Paul. So he spares them all for the sake of Paul. That's pretty awesome. And he does what any leader would do at this point. I don't know if this is the best thing, but just jump off the ship, 
you're all on your own. We'll meet on the island, hopefully. We have this promise that we're all going to be there. Not one hair, Paul said. And so they all jump off. And they all end up. 276 lives, we are told, are spared that day. Shipwrecked on the island of Malta, right off the coast of Italy and Sicily. I had a chance once uh, to consider going to Malta to be a pastor. And Nancy and I were young in our marriage, and uh, Brianna was just a baby, and we decided not to. But I wonder what, would have, what my life would have been like as God navigated that journey for me. So here's the fourth and final lesson. It's found in Acts chapter 28 on the island of Malta, verses 1 through 6. Read it along with me. Once safely on shore, all 276 lives, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders there showed us unusual kindness. Of course, they were Italians. Why not? They built a fire, and they welcomed us, welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. And Paul, what does Paul do with chains on? He's gathering a pile of brushwood, and he put it in the fire, and a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul, don't miss this, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. It's like viper, what is this? You know what's amazing? There are no poisonous snakes in Malta. It says the people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, this guy must be a god. There are no poisonous snakes in Malta. Where did this snake come from? Have you ever experienced something and you're like, you know it's the enemy. You know. You know it's the rebel. And he's trying to do something that he can never do, and that is to stop the unstoppable church. And so here's lesson number four. Don't miss this. I love this lesson. There are times when we just need to shake off the vipers in our lives. Just shake them off. Don't, don't let them poison you. I mean, really, shake them off. Some of us hold on. Oh, oh no, I got bit. Oh, no. I, I probably would need like a month of counseling after that. I don't know. But Paul just shakes it off. The Bible tells us that they harbor in Petuoli, which today is known as Petuoli, which, by the way, is Naples. That's where I grew up. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like the book of Acts so much. There's a guy named Sergius in there. They go to Italy. They go to Naples. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Paul finally makes his way to Rome before the Jews. And that is when he says this, this, this wonderful statement. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with these chains. It is because of the hope of Israel 
that I am bound with these chains? Are you willing to endure whatever comes your way? Believing God no matter what. Trusting always in the hope of Israel. Luke mentions nothing about Paul appearing before Caesar, by the way, in the book of Acts. After all, that was the whole reason why Paul was going to Rome. At that time, Caesar was a tyrannical Nero, was one of the craziest, just immoral Caesars that ever lived. But we do know this. Later, when writing to the Philippians from a jail cell in Rome, Paul wrote these words, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So it seemed, sorry, so it seemed he had made friends with those in the household of Caesar while waiting for his case to be heard. In fact, we are told that Nero sends two scribes to go there, and, and two squires, excuse me, to go there to arrest them on a second time to Rome, and they become converted and baptized uh, as they witness Paul's beheading. Isuvius, fourth century church historian, writes these words. It is therefore recorded that Paul was beheaded in Rome itself and that Peter likewise was crucified under Nero. And so ended the adventures of Paul. However, the message and movement Begun by, begun by Paul and the other apostles, continues today. It is truly an unstoppable force, an unstoppable movement, reaching to the ends of the earth, even Richland, Washington. And I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that God has included me, God has included us in this adventure, to be part of that never-ending story of this great plan of salvation to be unstoppable. And so I encourage each and every one of you, as we're down to the very last moments of this storm, know this, that God has a hold on you and he will not let go. So keep up your courage, for I have faith in God that all will be well. May God bless you and keep you on this day and forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, wow, what a journey. What an unbelievable story. What a great voyage. What an amazing example that we have in Paul. And Lord, I wish I could say that I am like Paul all the time, but I am not. And I struggle too, Lord, and I pray, Father, that you would teach me to shake off the vipers in my life. You would teach me to recognize and appreciate those small things in my life. You would teach me, Father, constantly to rely upon you to keep courage no matter what. And I pray that you would keep all of us safe until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless, church.